This is Rabbi Barry Gelman, and welcome to the other RBG on the Weekly Parsha. So where do we find awe and inspiration and spirituality? This week's Torah reading teaches us that there had to be an eternal lamp, a near tamid, burning in the Mishkan, in the traveling temple. And this rule is then extended to the Beit HaMikdash itself. And no doubt that this ever-burning flame was meant to inspire respect and even awe and beautify the place, beautify the Beit HaMikdash and the Mishkan. In fact, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot teaches us that there was a regular regimen of miracles that took place in the Beit HaMikdash, and surely those ongoing miracles added a sense of awe and resulted in feelings of closeness to God. And so as I was studying this idea, I began to wonder, what about today? What about now? There is no Beit HaMikdash. Is it possible for us to access that awe and feelings of closeness to God? It's the prophet Yechezkel who prophesied about the destruction of the temple and offered words of comfort in this regard exactly. When he told Bnei Yisrael that God would be for them a mikdash me'at, a diminished sanctity in the countries to where they were exiled. So what does this mikdash me'at mean, this diminished sanctity? While some commentaries suggest that mikdash me'at refers to synagogues and that synagogues are, in a diminished fashion, a stand-in for the Beit HaMikdash, for the temple, others see a more radical message in this verse. For example, while accepting that synagogues replaced the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, while the Jewish people were in exile, Rabbi Meir Leibush Weiser, the Malbim, teaches that God is telling the Jewish people that God's presence among them is not reserved for a specific location. It is not reserved only for the land of Israel or for the Beit HaMikdash, or for the synagogue. Now this must have been an incredibly comforting message and a welcome one to the Jewish people who had just been exiled from their land. He continues to note that while it's true that there will be no open miracles in exile, God will make God's presence known in hidden ways until that presence is felt clearly and in tangible ways. The words of Yechezkel, while comforting, and they truly are comforting, also present a challenge. The challenge to be open to new perspectives. It must have taken some getting used to for the exiled Jews in order to admit to a spiritual experience outside the Beit HaMikdash and outside the land of Israel. Seeing God in the absence of the Beit HaMikdash required what we should call spiritual courage. And this approach got me speaking, got me thinking about spiritual courage. What does it take for us to be open to spirituality in the presence of God? I am sure, like the exiled Jews, that many of us feel that such moments, moments of closeness to God, are beyond us, lost, or never were available to us to begin with. Yechezkel teaches us that it does not need to be that way. This is the heart of Judaism, to have the courage to see God where others do not. Avraham, Abraham is called Avraham Ha'ivri because the whole world was on one side of the theological divide and Avraham was on the other. The word Ivri shares a root with the word Aver, meaning across from or on the other side. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs reminds us of this in a beautiful passage. The most famous command in Judaism is Shema Yisrael, he writes. Listen, Israel. What made Abraham, Moses, and the prophets different from their contemporaries 
was that they heard the voice that to others was inaudible. In a remarkable passage, the Talmud suggests that there were hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of prophets. And this teaching speaks to the ability for many, not just the elite, to seek and find God. Rabbi Soloveitchik teaches that just when prophecy ended is when the men of the Great Assembly, the Anshe Knesset Hagadola, established the text of our set prayers. They simply would not accept a world where a conversation with God was not possible. And what they did was substitute one type of conversation for another. When prophecy, which is a conversation between humanity and God that is initiated by God, ceased, they replaced it with prayer, a conversation with God, but this time initiated by humans. The Yanche Knesset Agadola, in this bold move, exercised great spiritual courage by demanding that God can be found and God's presence felt, even under new circumstances. And so I'll end with a moving story that Rabbi Soloveitchik told more than once when he said the blessing on God's creation after seeing the Baltic Sea for the first time. And Rabbi Soloveitchik noted and said as follows, it was a religious reaction to viewing the majesty of God's creation. When I recited the blessing upon seeing the sea, I did so I did so with emotion and deep feeling. I deeply experienced the words of the bracha of the blessing. Blessed be he who wrought creation. Not all the blessings that I recite are said with such concentration. It was more than simply a blessing. It was an encounter with the creator. I felt the divine presence was hidden in the darkness and vastness of the sea. The experience was unique and unforgettable. The blessing welled out of me. This is Rabbi Soloveitchik being open to God in unexpected places. We should remember that like prophecy in earlier times, such revelations are not reserved to the likes of Rabbi Soloveitchik alone. They are available and waiting to be embraced by each one of us. Shabbat Shalom.